Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. That's when it got wheels off. We started up and we ain't gonna stop. Oh, sound like you like it or not. That's when it got wheels off. Brian Anderson has one of those voices. If you don't know that you know it, you probably still know it. If you live in the Milwaukee area, you almost certainly know it, as he's called the Brewers for years. He also does TV work for the NBA on TNT. He calls NCAA basketball games for ESPN, Turner Sports, CBS. He has lately been doing some NFL games as well. His voice is becoming more and more well-known and more and more ubiquitous. Now, you might not think that a sports announcer is the kind of creative job that would land you on wheels off. But I would argue that what Brian Anderson does by creating the narrative and by providing context for the athletics that he is both describing and explaining for his viewers and listeners is a very creative job. He's building something out of nothing. He's sitting down and in a way working a much harder job than a musician might or even a stand-up comedian where your material has been created ahead of time and worked out and tested and focus grouped. He's having to come up with everything he says, every step of the way, filling up all the airtime. Brian Anderson does a fantastic job of doing just that. He makes his games so compelling. He makes the sport that can sometimes feel frivolous carry such weight. And that's why he keeps getting more and more gigs. And I'm so happy to have him on Wheels Off as my guest this episode, Brian Anderson. Welcome to Wheels Off. Welcome, Brian Anderson. All right. Great to be here. The famous Rhett Miller. Wait, <laughs> you're interviewing me. Yes. It's the tables of turned. I'm the journalist. Yeah. Well, not today. Today you are an artist. I'm very uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't believe that for a second. 
Um, so, so these conversations are about the creative process, and it might not be obvious to some of our listeners why you fit into the world of what business people like to call the creatives, which is one of those words that always bothers me. But what you do is very creative. I feel like there's a lot of improvisation. In fact, it's entirely almost mm-hmm. improvisation. So um, can you tell me what project you're working on right now and how it is inspiring to you? Well, I think, um, you know, first, when I do a game, so I call sporting events for a living, and uh, the intimidating part of that when I started was um, these things are unfolding as we speak, and so there's this thing, this historical sporting event, uh, whether it be a good game, great game, bad game, whatever, but it's a a piece of history that's happening, so um, it's unfolding, and I have to put words on it. So those words are the play-by-play part of it. And so currently I'm in the middle of basketball season. So there are really two seasons for me. There's baseball season and then there is basketball season. Those are the main sports I do. I also do golf. Uh, I do the PGA Championship um, and have done a lot of golf in my lifetime. But my main jobs right now are as a baseball play-by-play announcer. And in that group, I do um, the Milwaukee Brewers for Fox Sports Wisconsin. That's kind of my everyday job where I show up every day and do a local team. And then I do the national network for Turner Sports. And so Turner does the MLB postseason, uh, MLB regular season on Sundays, uh, Sunday MLB on TBS. And so this time of year, this is basketball season. So I'm in the middle of two different kinds of basketball, college basketball, NCAA, where we'll lead into the NCAA tournament, March Madness, and then uh, the NBA on TNT as well. Very different, uh, let's call them genres. It's basketball, but it's completely different college basketball versus the NBA. So there's a lot of prep that goes into that and preparing um, for those games. As we sit here and do this interview, I'm preparing for a college basketball game in Milwaukee, Wisconsin at Marquette University. Golly. So I imagine that, because what you do primarily, and this is just me interpreting it, is you create sort of a context for what people are either seeing or um, most of what you do is TV these days, right? Right, TV. Yeah. Okay, so you they're, they're seeing something unfold before them, but you're sort of explaining to them mm-hmm. why it's significant. And as far as uh, me on the outside looking in, it seems like baseball, there would be a lot of empty space where you're trying to sort of build up a structure. Mm-hmm. And basketball is almost the opposite, like it's frantic, and you're trying mm-hmm. to interject little moments of... But it's all context, right? Like, you, do you feel like you're building something? Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a good explanation. I, I would, and you're a sports fan, so you, I think you get it. Um, baseball is more like, for, in a musical context, more like jazz, right? So it just kind of rolls along, and you, there's a, there's some ad libbing there. You're you're kind of riffing off your partner and what you're seeing on the field uh, as those things unfold. You're trying to add subtitles to them, but also some context to that whereas an nba game would be straight uh heavy metal just straight maybe more (laughs) punk rock maybe more punk rock you know maybe just and so uh your your interjections aside from the play-by-play piece where you're describing the action giving a name to a player maybe describing what he just did then the score and then the context of where it matters 
uh, you're dropping in a nugget here or there or a story here or there. So in baseball, you have these moments between pitches where you're weaving these stories in uh, and you have a little more time to do that. And maybe my baseball pace is more like this. Whereas your basketball pace, you're kind of in here and you pop, pop, pop. Uh, so you're popping in these little stories. And he went to Marquette University or he was the NBA's uh, slam dunk champion two years ago. So it's more um, more agitated probably uh, play-by-play than a baseball uh, game would be. And then and golf is a little bit different too. Like golf is... You never see a live shot that you see with your own eyes. Everything's taken off this monitor. So, you know, in a, in a golf tournament, you may have 40, 50 golf balls in play at the same time that are all happening all over the course, but you're looking at the, at the particular shot that you have in front of you. So you're trying to keep one eye on this guy who's on the 13th hole while you're covering this particular player who's on the 16th hole. Um, so every sport is different. Uh, I did the NFL for a few years with CBS, and that has its different rhythm as well. That's very rhythmic. So it's play, whistle, go to the huddle, or you know, get preparing for the next play, which is typically your analyst time to talk. Me as the play-by-play guy, I'm giving him room as well. Uh, so then you get up to the next play, and then so it's that really easy rhythm. Whereas baseball may be all over the map. You may get back-to-back home runs. You may get three straight home runs, and it's all happening pow, pow, pow. Uh, You may not get any action for 10 minutes. Um, So then you kind of have to sense what the game's going to be like. Uh, But it is, uh, it's a, I love it. I'm a huge music fan, first of all, and I think I always try to bring uh, some, maybe some musical context to games, at least from a play-by-play perspective. Like, I'm trying to hear all the things that may be going on in a game, crowd noise, what the producer's telling me in my ear, my analyst and his thoughts, um, what I may hear with what we would call nat sounds, natural sounds, like interactions with players. And I'm trying to weave my play-by-play, my words through all of those things. So it's very, it feels almost like I'm not a musician, but I love music and I love watching guys like you entertain. And I would imagine that's what it's like being in a band. You know, you're you're the lead singer, right? And you're kind of worried. You have your lyrics and you deliver those lyrics. Now it's time for the, the lead guitar or the bass. And the bass and the drums are working in concert and all of that. And you're kind of like finding your way through that. And that's what I feel like a, a play-by-play announcer does. And that's what I try to do anyway. I try to hear everything and then navigate my way through so as not to uh, overwhelm the audience, it's not, fun- so as not to overwhelm with verbiage. Sure. It's, it's funny, when I hear you describe the teams in the way that, that you work with a color guy or whatever, mm-hmm. um, it reminds me of the kind of collaboration between musicians, which is really my favorite part of music, is, the, is that kind of collaboration. But when I hear you talk about all the elements coming together, it almost, it's symphonic in a way. Yeah. Like you're, you're, that you're, makes me feel so good. It's cool. It's, well, it's really cool because it's a lot more than I think people realize. And that's what I found uh, is a theme with these conversations is that there's so much more that goes into mm-hmm. it than people ever would even really realize. Because when people are good at their job, they make it sound so easy. Yeah. You know, and I think a lot of what I'm, what I want out of these conversations is for them to be useful, especially maybe to like younger people that have dreams of doing something like this. Right. And I know. 
as the father of a teenager who has brought up the idea of being a sports <laughs> announcer, I know um, that it's something that kids even think about. So, like, sure. when, when you were a kid, was there a moment where, did you have an epiphany moment where you thought, this is what I want? Yeah, I did. I mean, I had a couple of epiphany moments, actually. First, I wanted to play. I always wanted to play. That's the best job in the world. And uh, as I was growing up, I played every sport um, competitively on teams, whether it be, you know, middle school, high school, then I was a college baseball player. I was a scholarship athlete in college, small college in Texas, but... Which one? uh, uh, St. Mary's University in San Antonio. So a college athlete nonetheless, but I always wanted to play. My older brother was a player and played in the major leagues. He was a pitcher, Mike Anderson. He's still in the game. He's uh, working for the Texas Rangers, and he's been with them for a long time. He's a special assistant to the general manager. He reports directly to John Daniels. I know that's your team. So yeah. You're perking up here. but the <laughs> So he was always in the game, my older brother, and I always wanted to do that as well. But then I realized uh, there was going to be a point when probably two years too late when I realized I'm not good enough to play professionally. I was a good college player. I was a starter. I, I hit 300 for my career. So <clears throat> there was some, you know, moments there where I thought maybe I could take this to the next level. But then I realized I couldn't and I wasn't going to be good enough to do that. I, I'll never forget the story I, I, I share every now and then is when I was catching a game against Rice University in Houston. And uh, I was coming back from warming up the pitcher in the bullpen, the starting pitcher. We're going out to the field. We're batting first. My team we're the visiting team. And the scout from the Cincinnati Reds waved me over. His name was Julian Mock. And he goes, hey, Anderson, come on over here. Just your classic stereotypical scout, right? Old guy. Come on over here. I want to chat with you. And I'm thinking, oh, man, this is my chance. I'm going to – he likes me. <laughs> <laughs> it's that same old thing, right, when we when we first like, does she like me? Does he like me? <laughs> it was the same deal. So I'm walking in, and I'm in full gear. You know, I've just warmed up the starting pitcher. We're going out um, to start the game. He calls me over, and I'm like, yeah, yes, sir, Mr. Mock, how you doing? Oh, hey, you know, I, I, you know, I, I like your style, Ken. You know, I like the way you play. And I'm just in my mind going, yes, yes. <laughs> I'm there. I've made it. And then he drops a bomb on me, and he says, yeah, I like you so much. I think you'd make a great scout. Oh, oh. just just that whole, like, I could just, boom, the tuba. Yeah. You know. Womp, <laughs> Yeah, womp, there you womp. go. The tuba sound. So I got to go catch a game now, you know. Oh. And so I'm just thinking, oh, I'm not that good. So anyway, that was when I can remember catching that game, being in that game, thinking, you know what? I love playing. I love playing sports. I love the competitive nature of it, but I probably got to think about what's next. Um, and I had done some broadcasting as a kid. I always wanted to be a broadcaster. Like I thought that would be something cool to do. My thinking was I'd be a player for a long time, then I'd go be the yeah, analyst, yeah. right? I'd go be the analyst. <laughs> so now I start thinking about, all right, the play-by-play side of things. And uh, yeah, you know, I, that was when I, and I used to call games in the dugout and I would describe the action and People would like it, and they would say, oh, man, that's really cool. Keep doing that, you know. And so I would do that when I wasn't playing or if I was on the bench or, you know, second game of a doubleheader if I wasn't catching. Even my head coach in college like, hey, B.A., I like the way you did that. Keep going. So I kind of thought maybe I had something there. And then as I got into the to the business of it and realized I had to change a lot, I had to change the way I spoke 
I spoke a really, really high voice, kind of like that, and I was a Texas boy, you know, and I kind of talk like that, and so I had to change the way I delivered uh, my voice and get it into the diaphragm, and then it now became work, right? So now I'm working. I, my first job was doing minor league baseball uh, in San Antonio. I worked for a double-A team called the San Antonio Mission. So then this cool thing, now I'm not a player, now I'm graduated from college, now I'm a broadcaster. Oh, this takes a lot of work. i got to be better. And like my instincts were really good, and I could sense the game and the rhythm of it, the knowledge of it. But boy, the delivery of it and when to say the words. And it wasn't, the, it wasn't like the assembly line picture that I had imagined. Well, you say words here, and then something <laughs> happens, and then you say more words. Then that was the other epiphany. It became an art. Like, wait, there is an art form to this. Everything has art, I believe. You know, whether you are an accountant, whether you're a famous rock singer like Rhett Miller, or whether you're, <laughs> you know, whether you're in marketing or advertising or whatever you're doing, there's art in it. There's art in, in navigating personalities and uh, navigating whatever job you're doing and the space you're you're in. And so that's like when I really buckled down and said, "Okay, discover what the art is, and get better at it." Starts with the voice, starts with the vocabulary, the ad livability, trust in yourself, the ability to know like there's going to be a thing that happens on this field and I'm going to have a word for it. And when you first start out, you're like, I don't have any words for it, man. I got to write this stuff down. So I've never used a teleprompter. I've never written, you know, phrases down. There is that threshold you have to cross over like you got to own it. And whether you're good enough or not depends on how much money you can make in this business and actually make it a career. Otherwise, um, maybe you're just doing it as a hobby on the weekends for a local college team or a high school team, or maybe you're a PA announcer. Uh, But those are like the major pieces of epiphany that happen. First to do the job, then to actually realize it is a job that is an art form. It's funny, you the way you describe that um, the scout coming over and giving you that yeah. moment of sort of self-awareness, mm-hmm. it, it really echoes something I've discovered in a lot of these conversations, like Fred Armisen talking about the failure of his band and how he then made a video about South by Southwest that got noticed by SNL. I find that so many opportunities arise from the failure. And, and I think it's important for people to remember, sure. right? Because at the moment it feels so terrible, but what we don't realize is that there's so much that can come out of it. Okay, so you talk about the sort of learning curve of um, realizing that it's a job. And there are the sort of obvious built-in obstacles to figuring out how you're going to do that job. But then I think there are the... Um, the more mysterious obstacles, like the sort of internal obstacles. Mm-hmm. Like, do you have moments where you doubt yourself? Do you have moments where you're in the midst of your job and you realize just what a weird job it is? Like, yeah. do, do you have the negative sort of self I do, I do. And I, you know, um, and it kind of ravaged me at first, you know, and, I, and um, I was stuck in minor league baseball. I love doing minor league baseball broadcasting games on the radio in the minor leagues. But look, that's no place to make a living. I had a family, had a wife, had a baby. Um, And I was kind of betting on myself. You know, I graduated from college. I was on the dean's list. All my friends are going and taking these jobs. They have mortgages. They have families. They have regular lives. Uh, And I'm here scrambling, living on my wife's teacher's salary and her teacher's uh, uh, insurance. And so 
self-doubt was right there on my shoulder, my constant companion at all times. Am I doing the right thing? Is this the right decision? Uh, how can I ever make it, quote unquote, make it? Um, and I still, to this day, you know, because we're in a public forum and what we say, like we, you know, I never want to ruin an experience for a fan. So you go in and you do a game. So I did the Yankees, Red Sox, MLB postseason this year and then went on, did the Red Sox, Astros in the ALCS. And you know, those fan bases are so dialed in with their own teams. You don't want to go ruin that experience for them, right? We also live in the Twitter age, so you hear a lot of feedback like, this guy sucks. He's the worst. He doesn't know, you know. So he's rooting for them. He's rooting, you know. There's always that Homer Homer broadcast that people think you're you're doing. Um, so those are all the doubts I still have. I, I, I did have a moment, um, you know, where I stopped trying to be when you first start in this business, I don't know if it's, if it's this way for you as a musician, but when you first start, you kind of, you mock what you like. And so I was mocking some of the guys and trying to be like uh, some of the broadcasters that I really enjoyed. And so I would do some things like this and have a little radio call because Milo <laughs> Hamilton did the Astros. And a great announcer for the Rangers named Mark Holtz uh, passed away. Um, he was one of my mentors too. And I would try to be like him. And so you realize at some point you've got to go on your own. And then when you do that, that's scary. And you got to go on your own. And then you, you hate the way you sound and because it, it doesn't sound like anybody you're used to. And then that was about a you know two-year process to get my voice strong and breathe and have breath support from the diaphragm, be able to speak well and with resonance. And then there was another three-year, I would say three-year window for me where now... I'm going to have to just kind of cut it loose here a little bit and just be me. And if me is good enough to be a major league broadcaster, which is what I wanted to do, or to be at a level where I could actually make a living, if me is good enough, then it'll be good enough. And if it's not, I'll make it a hobby and I'll go get a regular job. There is that breakthrough where you go, all right, I can't fake being somebody else. I work every night for seven months in the minor leagues, 140 games across six months. You can't fake that. Your voice has to be strong. You have to deliver games and play-by-play calls when you're not feeling well. And So at some point, you just have to do what you do and have to be what you are and then progress from there. So that was a real breakthrough. And then, you know, like I'm, I have a, a, a strong faith background and I, I kind of had the, the, you know, audience of one. Like this is going to be, okay, if it's good enough for God, I'm just going to, Whatever, I'm going to be as best as I can be, and and if it's good enough for him, that's the way it's going to be. And so that was really helpful for me. And then that I got good. Like, that's that's when I first got good at it. And I actually would listen to a game and a demo and go, man, that sounds pretty good. Yeah. That was a real breakthrough for me, because the first five years, that did not happen. Every time I listened to my tapes, I would listen to I Remember the old mini-disc? Yeah. So I would record first cassettes, then mini-disc players. And I would listen to the mini disc on the way home. I had a 30-minute drive home from the games every night, and I would pop that thing in. And I would listen, and I would just cringe the whole way home, just like, oh, this is awful, no, bad timing, not there, and wrong words, horrible grammar, bad vocab, you know, just like carving yourself up. And then, you know, it, then you'd get home, and I wouldn't sleep because I was angry, like, am I just spinning my wheels here, you know? Um, but then the, when the breakthrough happened, I just kind of cut it loose, and I was like, yeah all right, you can build on that. And then not being so 
not being so aggressive mentally with myself. Just like, give yourself a break, man. You're doing it. Like, you're out there. You're in the middle. You're in the arena. The famous Teddy Roosevelt quote, right? You're in the arena doing it. People are having, uh, saying what they want to say about, about you, having opinions about you, but you're doing it. So let's see how far you can take it. And then, man, it, then things started popping. And now, now I'm getting jobs, getting offers. Uh, got a job with the Spurs. Got a job with ESPN. The Spurs came calling. And then the Golf Channel was next on the list. Now I'm doing network golf on television. And that was like a breakthrough financially. And then the Milwaukee Brewers called. And now they want to hear me and interview me. And I get that job. And now now the confidence comes, right? And, and, and then the network comes with Turner Sports. And... Next thing you know, man, it's like this nine-year period of not getting anywhere. Next thing you know, in a matter of probably two years, I'm doing network television playoff baseball in front of millions of viewers. And Roy Halladay throws a no-hitter in the playoffs, and I'm calling that game. And it's like, there are 15 million people watching this thing right now, you know? So it's all that work and all that prep and all those reps and the rhythm of it kind of led to that for me and so yes the fail that's a really long answer to your question but no, the failure you have to accept that failure and, and be okay with it and treat it more like a golf swing with a slice or a hook and not a, a character trait it's not your personality you're just fixing a golf swing and that's yeah. the way I treated my broadcasting I'm fascinated by the moment where because we, we all Emulate the people that we admire, right? Mm-hmm. Someone has a job. You're like, I want that job. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do. I'm going to pretend I'm them, or whatever we do. And then, at a certain point, it switches over into you find your voice, and and you and your profession more than anybody else that I probably will ever speak to. It's literally that you're finding yeah. your voice. But it's the authenticity that you talk about is the thing that draws people to you. And if there's inauthenticity, and I think this is uh, across every medium. That's what drives people away because they can sense it, right? right? If you're make, if you're doing some other announcer, it was funny just now to hear you do the the, the, <laughs> Ron, the Ronnie Radio voice we call him, <laughs> yeah, or Vin Scully's the the king of our industry, and and, yeah. and there's a million Vin Scully wannabes out there, and two and two, you know, you've heard it. I mean, you watch any Simpsons broadcast with a broadcaster, and it's the same bit. Oh, it's so good. Um, Okay, so if you were to go back and talk to the 21-year-old version of Brian Anderson, but working in today's world, what advice would you give yourself? Well, first of all, I feel like I do that, right? Because, you know, one of the lessons I got early was to, from a few major league broadcasters at the time, Ernie Harwell and a guy named Dave Barnett, who was doing the Spurs and ESPN and Marty Brenneman, who's the voice of the Reds in the Hall of Fame. And those guys let me in. Let me come sit in the booth. Let me. So that has happened to me now. And I remember those guys saying, one day there's going to be a time when there's going to be a young broadcaster or writer and they're going to want to know about the industry and they're going to want to sit down with you. So I feel like I'm having those conversations every day. I get emails uh, with play-by-play announcers, young play-by-play announcers, male and female, which is great. There's so many more female broadcasters now that want to do play-by-play. And I get emails with links to their stuff, their bio. And I'm having to sit here and type out these emails like, oh my God, this <laughs> 21-year-old kid, right, wants to hear what I have to say. And so I, I literally put myself in that position because I was. So I have those conversations with myself all the time. And I think, you know, uh, 
aside from the technical things. And so technically it's more like, okay, I kind of created for myself and I pass along the three S's. Uh, there's stats, there's stories, and there's silence. And that's the three spinning plates as you go through a broadcast that you, <clears throat> at least I try to keep those plates spinning at all times. So you don't want to bombard people with statistics. You don't want to bombard them with stories. Sometimes it's nice to just be quiet, let the crowd come in, hear the vendor, hear whatever. Knowing those moments is an art form, and that's you got to do it. Uh, there's more to that. That's more mechanically um, driven on being a broadcaster, play-by-play announcer in sports. Philosophically, I try to tell people, the first thing I say is, don't be a jerk. So there are enough jerks in this industry. It really boils down to this. Don't be a jerk. There's people you're going to come in contact with. There's people you're going to, uh, that, that can A, help you, B, not help you at all. Are you the same person with both parties? Um, for me in television, it's not just me and my partner, the analyst, and uh, the producer in the truck, the director. There's a whole team of people. There's these great camera operators, video the, the, the guys and gals that shade the colors of the stadium, like that's an art form. There's the audio. There's the guy who hits the, hits the mute button, the pots up the microphone in the bullpen when a pitcher throws a, a pitch in the bullpen. So you hear the pop. Like that's an art form and there's timing to that. Like that's an audio, uh, that's an audio person who's, there's human beings that do all this stuff. So I always tell these kids like recognize the human story of everybody who's working in this. To put on a minor league game if you're in the minor leagues. If you're calling college games, you're starting out at a, like a small college level. Think about the person that's doing the PA and, and who's organizing the music and then the players themselves. You know, that's kind of a given, the players and the coaches. Those are your subjects. But all the people around you, are you, are you a great person to the player because you need him and you need a story? And then you're kind of a prick to... Uh, you know, the guy that's maybe setting up the headset for you or is fixing something. Or maybe the engineer comes in and makes sure there's power so you can plug in your mixer if you're at that level, right? Like, what's that guy's story? You know, he's probably, you know, been here for a long time if he's an older guy and he knows this stadium or this arena. And, you know, he's not just the guy who's got the crack that you're looking at when he's under the table <laughs> plugging in everything. Just get to know people and don't be a jerk. So that's really... Um, my, that's where I start with everybody. And then, and then the other part is like what we just talked about, but don't be so hard on yourself. Don't, don't treat, it's, it's not an attack on your character if you're not a good play-by-play announcer. And if you call the wrong name of somebody and it's a, a really important moment and that's going to live forever and it, it, you hate that. But don't be so hard on yourself because you're in it. You're doing it. So do it. And if you have a passion for it and you can make a living and doing this job, then do it and just give yourself a little credit every now and then. I didn't give myself near enough credit when I first started because I'm, I'm engineering every broadcast. I'm, I'm walking around with this big case. I'm setting up microphones. I'm actually, I actually soldered a headset, ring pin tip. All of you audio people out there will know what I mean. But I was soldering a headset because lightning hit the foul pole, came up, blew up my headset during a game in Midland, Texas. So I'm soldering, trying to fix his headset. In the meantime, I've got a telephone, old school phone, not cell phone, flipped upside down, taped to a mic stand, talking into the microphone portion of the telephone, wow. calling the game. Because you had to, right? You've got to figure out ways to get around this stuff. And, you know, 
I was engineering all that and setting all this up, and I'm like, man, now that I think back, like, kick ass, man, you did a good job. Like, you're, <laughs> you're setting up headsets, and you're talking to players, and you're telling stories, and I never let myself go there when I was in it. It was always like, oh, I can't wait to get away from them. I'm tired of carrying this case up. I want to leave right after the game. I remember setting up microphones down on the field so you could hear the crack of the bat and the pop of the glove because I thought that sounded big league. <clears throat> and it allowed me to navigate my play-by-play like a big league announcer because you can hear the... And then I would lay out and hit that pop or that crack of the bat. And then you could hear, oh, that sounded like a broken bat. There's a broken bat single to right. So there were all those little subtleties that I was trying to add, and I wish I would have given myself a little more credit. But all that failure really, it, it, if the failure doesn't uh, collapse you mentally, um, then it can really be useful if you just put it in its proper box, in its proper context, that you don't have to be perfect every time, and then you can get to the next floor. So you went to this floor and you kind of messed that up, now let's get better and not do that again. So then you go to the next floor. And so Ernie Harwell, a great broadcaster, uh, legendary. He's a statue out in front of Comerica Park in Detroit. He's a Hall of Famer. He always told me, he said, you know, to function in this business, you have to have a healthy uh, sense of paranoia. And so there is a little bit of paranoia. Like, I'm not quite, I don't have it quite together. and I don't quite have it all in order. Uh, but you just keep moving forward. It's funny you say that. I, I found that on stage, if I ever make a mistake, it's usually because I've, I'm congratulating myself on oh, how well I'm doing, right? So, and it works the other <laughs> way. So there's the negative yeah. side. In sports, the great cliche that every coach tells every player ever is you're never as good as you think you are and you're never as bad as you think you are. And that's true. And we have to stay somewhere in the middle. And just when we're feeling a little jonesy because we're doing good and we're getting these calls and, you know, for me and my career and I'm advancing and you know, I'm like feeling myself a little bit. Pow, you make a mistake. You let one slide. Uh, you mispronounce a name. You mess it up. And so, like, we have to kind of be in the middle, right? And be, be able to be uh, ping-ponged in between and stay stay in that middle place, I think. Some people can just let it all go and they don't care what you think about them if they mess up, make mistakes. But you want to be a pro and you want to do a good job. Um, but yeah, that's a really important thing to give yourself a break, man. Yeah. 21 year old self. Yeah. Give yourself a break. Well, I am so glad I talked to you. I feel like so much of the stuff that you've said is useful, not just for kids who want to come up into broadcasting, but across really all uh, disciplines. I really feel like you've got a lot of wisdom and shared a lot of it. Thank, Thank you, you so man. much. Appreciate you, Rep. Great talking to you, Brian. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. 
On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like.